Torch Trust. Sight Loss 101. In conversation with Ifiola Akintunde. Hello and welcome to this episode of Sight Loss 101. I'm Tim Jeffrey and I've recently become Chief Executive of Torch Trust. Now, as a sighted person uh, leading a, t- a charity that's all about blind and partially sighted people, I realized that one of the things I need to do is hear the stories, hear what it's like to live with blindness and with sight loss. So today I've got the great pleasure of having Mr. Ifiola Akintunde. Now, thankfully, um, that, that name uh, we shortened to Ify. And, and um Ify, I understand Ifiolu means something rather nice. Oh, yes, it means the love of the Lord. Wow. And, and Ify is just love, is that right? Just love, yeah. What a great thing to be called love. Well, oh, thank you. <laughs> <Ify is blessed laughs> I like it. it. <laughs> it's, lovely. it's lovely to have you, to have you with us. Um, now, you, I understand, grew up in Nigeria. And, and when did your sight loss journey begin? What was, what was the start of, of your understanding of sight loss? So um, this is what they tell me, because um, obviously I was too young to remember. Um, They tell me that my parents first noticed that my eyes didn't behave like my big sister's eyes did. So I'm second in the family. Um, And so they they started to worry. And um, my my mom uh, was a nurse in a a college, in the university college hospital in Ibadan at that time. So she um, went to some ophthalmologists, but they couldn't work out what the problem was and um, then about when I was about three or four years my dad actually came to do another master's degree in Newcastle and then I know I saw an ophthalmologist there and they also couldn't work out what what was happening and I think it's kind of hard as a three-year-old or a four-year-old to um, talk to ophthalmologists you know these serious people who keep putting front of your eyes and asking you if you can read them and things like that so what they said um i think they said look go try him out in a school and see how it works and so i went to a school in ibadan um and it didn't work very well so i went to a specialty school for blind people when i was just before i turned six in lagos okay and and there how did how did that go what was um being at a blind school like for you Oh, we were told it was the best school in the world. Um, and, and we believed it because, oh, yeah, because, I mean, in Nigeria, we, actually, our school had a swimming pool um, which for a school, but it was a boarding school. And um, um, I, I, as a five-year-old, I think it was a bit sad leaving home. And um, my dad also told me he cried a little bit, um, but try not to tell everyone. I don't think he wants everyone to know. But, um, but we 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 kind of, it was a boarding school. And because it was a boarding school, we learned all manner of things. I mean, we learned because we were also told, it's not like schools here in the UK where if you go to a blind school, you're there till you're 16. We're only there till where it was just a primary school. So we were told that we needed to work in the world of sighted people. So by about eight or nine, I was learning to touch type. Um, and if you wanted to employ me at 10 to be your secretary or something, I would have been qualified because I actually took the um, typing exams at 10 years old. We also learned how to iron and wash our clothes. We learned how to dance. And I didn't do very well with that, but we still learned it. And 
we learned also how to use Braille. So the idea was when we got to secondary school, we would use the typewriter for our, te for our teachers, um, but we'll take our notes using our Perkins Braillers and stuff like that. Okay. So you then, did you then go on to secondary school? Uh, oh, I, I went to a great school in Nigeria called King's College Lagos. And it is oh. actually one of, this also is one of the best schools in Nigeria. They say um, at that time, um, and has produced a lot of um, top Nigerian um, politicians. And it was set up by the colonial administration in 1909 to produce people for um, civil service. And so it's got a lot of, as its um, ex-students, it's got, politicians and business people and yeah and so did how, how did that go as a pretty much a blind person at that time how was school for you in, in a regular sighted school think about it as an 11 year old um and my friends kind of wanted to know what it was like and they did some things which i suppose 11 year olds do to people they don't understand like um they did they'd you know stand in front of me uh, while I was walking. They just did those things as part of curiosity, natural curiosity. And I say that very carefully because we are best friends now, you know, <laughs> despite the ways they did. <laughs> we really are. Does that surprise you? <laughs> but I, I suspect it was curiosity. And the other thing was my friends back at home never did that. I joined in games with them. I rode bicycles with them because I could see enough to do that. I played football with them. So because we had grown up together as six, seven-year-olds, they didn't have that problem of trying to work out what it was like being blind. But yes, I enjoyed it. And, and, and I think eventually I, I did well. Um, problems really don't start in secondary schools because um, a lot of the people there finally got to work out who I was and how, 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 to, how to relate to a blind person. And so we, we kind of played games together. By the time I was leaving secondary school, we were like playing football together. And they really used to enjoy taking the ball past us. It was quite great. There were about six or seven blind people in the school and we would play football and they would, they would just make us dance around the field and they'd, they'd tease us as the ball went past us, <laughs> which was fun in its own way as well. So we had a great time. And, and I think I liked that because they weren't going, oh, he's blind. We, we, we can't um, tease them. We can't. So we, we enjoyed that. We enjoyed the kind of fun we had with our friends. And I think that's why we're still good friends now. If you have a beautifully generous approach to that, I can imagine there would be other people who wouldn't have that, that sense of generosity towards people in that way. So that, that's, a, that's a lovely trait. Where, where's that come from? Um, it's difficult to explain. I think in Nigeria, we, we blind people generally ha, are treated as, I don't know, maybe outcasts or as people who are unlikely to do very well. There's a cultural kind of antipathy towards blindness, obviously. Um, and, and so quite a lot of my classmates in the school I went to came to school very late because their parents didn't think they could go to school. For me, it was quite different because my dad um, was highly educated and so was my mom. And they were determined that I would be with people of my age just as educated as they were. So I kind of grew up with sighted people. So I, I recall once a friend of mine came home and to spend half term with me, a blind, blind friend. And um, my, my friends at home were like, come and ride bicycles with us. And he was like, I can't. And come and play football with us. And he was like, I can't. and my friends were kind of surprised because they, they were used to playing with me, but 
we found that um, other blind people were probably not as free with sighted counterparts as I was. So it, I suppose it was just growing up alongside them and enjoying their company and they enjoying mine. Oh, that's fantastic. And so clearly you had some sight at that time if you were riding bicycles and playing football. What, oh, yes. yes. What, what yes. level of, of, of sight do you have now? Help me understand what it's like living, living behind your eyes. No, I think um, it's kind of what happened was, although I played football with, with my, my friends at home and I only spent three months of a year at home, back in school, especially in the school I went to as a primary school student, um, you know, I, I, I was made to think like a blind person. So if, if something dropped uh, on the floor, if I was at home, my mom would say, look for it with your eyes. But if I was in school, they'd say, look for it with your hands. Mm. Um, and I spent a lot more time in school than at home. So gradually I depended less and less on on using my eyes and I recall once because my eyesight started to go so I, I recall once when I was about 12 years old and um, um, my, my friends in secondary school then had taught me no my brother had taught me how to write but my friends in secondary school we kind of worked on that and so when I got home we someone brought a newspaper and I and you know the very large headlines on the newspaper I could read it and it shocked even me because I never knew I could. So this was me and my sister and brother. And they woke my parents up who, up who were having a siesta and go, if I can read the headlines on the newspaper and that kind of, I became a superhero at home, you know, because I read the headlines on the newspaper. But gradually that began to go. And suddenly I noticed that um, um, as I was leaving secondary school, they would, because it, it was almost like a party trick with my mom's friends, you know, and then they would bring the newspaper and then, they take the newspaper away and I would notice there was kind of the newspaper almost kind of made an imprint in front of my eyes. And so gradually that started to become a problem. And my mom then started to notice because I, I ran into something at home and she said, but you never run into it. And I kind of told her a lie that I wasn't looking, which wasn't true. It was, um, and maybe I wasn't also admitting that I was also gradually losing my sight at that time. Mm. And so now you have some light perception. Is that is that yeah? What you light. Have? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you you then obviously you grew up in Nigeria. When did you come to the UK? What brought you here? Well, I had finished I finished secondary school and then I went to university to study law and um, and finished that. And I I became kind of disillusioned because um, at that time I realized that there were probably about three or four graduate lawyers in Nigeria, but none was practicing law because there were no books. Um, and our lecturers had made it quite clear to us that we would read all the days of our lives. And I knew what the problems were at that point. And so I decided I was going to do something else. So I decided I was going to do international relations because I liked listening to the news. I actually liked listening to the world service of the BBC at that time. So but I also decided I wasn't going to study in Nigeria because, um, because of the problem of getting books and stuff. So I, I got what's called the Shivening Scholarship now from the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, uh, I think, and came to study for my master's in Lancaster. Okay. And, and then have been here ever since, I understand. Is that so? I finished that and then <laughs> did a doctorate after a while and then finished that as well, also in politics, and just stayed wow. 
Fantastic. And and um, how did you find studying in the UK? I mean, getting a, a doctorate is a pretty impressive feat for anybody. I think I, I got the doctorate at a good time. But the first thing I noticed, I mean, I think I started by presuming everything was paved in gold. So I thought I'd get here and all the books would be waiting. They weren't actually... Um, I, I preferred Braille and it took time for Braille books to arrive, maybe about six or seven weeks. But the lecturers were understanding and they, they, they gave me time. Mm. So um, I found at least, and then they had volunteers in the university who would read to me uh, on tape. I thought, wow, these were things that, you know, we should take to Nigeria. Um, the volunteers who read in Nigeria, were, were they did it because they were our friends. But this was actually organized by the university. And this was in 1990. And they were setting up scanning devices in libraries at that time. I was like, wow, these are wonderful things. So when I started to do my PhD and they said, oh, for a PhD, you need primary material. This was the big thing. And they were like, you need to go and interview people and you need to go and look for primary sources the internet was just starting and i was doing my research on the united nations and suddenly they started to put their documents online uh, in the mid 90s when i was doing my phd so i i always look at myself and go everything i studied it, it was almost like god was setting me up because if i'd done it 10 years before or even 5 years before um i wouldn't have had the same access to to the reports I actually used for my for my doctorate as I as I had it was I mean there were similar similar things I found in in my secondary school and university as well that it was almost as though in truth I, it turned out that I was actually the first person to study law in the university that I had studied law um, in in Lagos and for my masters um, when I got to Lancaster Uni I remember once when one of my lecturers came to me and said. Um, Am I enjoying the course? And I said, yes, because I just said, why should a lecturer ask? And he said, because um, when I had applied, um, they had sat down and had a meeting to decide whether they'd have me because they hadn't had any blind students in the department. It took me about six or seven years to actually work out that what that meant was that I was actually the first person to do a master's in, the, in, the, in that department. But I just, just took it. But I think later on, as I thought about it, I just thought, well, God really kind of, set my time in a way that it just came in at the right time for things to happen wow that's amazing and and i understand you now work for let me get it right the overseas fellowship of nigerian christians is that right i do all manner of things for them i i am it's a it's a charity and um it's a voluntary position i have been um national publicity secretary i'm now director of missions evangelism and discipleship which means that we do things like um organize we have a program called one soul a year which is we're trying to tell our members to try and win one soul a year for christ and um and and to kind of spread it to their neighbors to just just to be like jesus actually because in one sense jesus never um he never said i think one of my my pastor in, in the church i attend in lancaster said something that really impressed me once said when jesus was going to heal you he never said oh you didn't go to church on a sabbath day so sorry i'm not going to heal you <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i think so that's part of what we're saying to people you know love your neighbors no matter who they are and that way you will draw them to you don't actually have to do great signs and wonders but you just have to love them and and that way hopefully we'll, each person can win one soul a year for christ ify that's amazing and and tell me if there's a message that you as a 
a Nigerian Christian and from the kind of um, the, the Nigerian Christian community have for those of us who are kind of UK um, uh, born and bred, what, what would that be? What would your message from the sort of Nigerian church to the British church be? Um, I have to tell the truth. When I was in Nigeria, I found Christianity kind of difficult because I was a, a teenager and and Christianity came to me as I'm going to heal you. And when that didn't happen, mm. um, um, I, I actually stepped back. And one of the things, although I'm very close with the Overseas Fellowship of Nigerian Christians, one of the most interesting things is that my growth came when I came into the United Kingdom. And, and that's a story in itself, how it happened. It was also God's doing an amazing work. Um, um, but the truth about it is, each, each culture has something interesting um, that, they, that, that we can bring to Christ. And one of the things about Nigerian Christianity, which I still admire forever, is the passion. Yeah. Um, and Nigerians are very passionate people normally. But when you bring that to Christianity, um, it, it's a passion for, for spreading the gospel. It's a passion for loving Christ. It's a passion for doing his will. Sometimes... Um, for me, I found that, as I said, in Nigeria, it, it got to the point where the passion for healing got so serious that I, I, I wasn't able to connect. But Nigerians are very passionate. And we get it wrong as well in Nigeria when we come here. We just think that we can just export that passion here and people would, but it doesn't work that way. But I, I have a friend from my church here who went to Togo and um, and she came back, she went on a mission trip and she came back and spoke about it. And she said what she liked most about it was that passion was that, you know, everyone was so thrilled. Um, Nigerians and Africans don't have very much um, economically as we all know, but it's good for them to have that, you know, that dependency on Christ because you can't depend on anything else. Um, you don't get proper electricity, you don't get good internet, you don't get anything. So, you know the dependence on Christ is is a it's a it's a necessary thing much more than in the UK I suspect. Yeah, how how right you are. So it's been my privilege to travel around a large amount of Africa and live in various African countries. And one of the things I've found time and time again is even in the poorest circumstances, the joy that folk have in the Lord and and mm. the generosity. That, that they have towards visitors. It's just humbling. So I, I, I absolutely echo what you're saying. Um, and Ify, how have you reconciled your faith and your blindness? What, what's, um, what's that journey been like for you? Um, that's a very... So w when I was in um, primary school, it was a Catholic school, um, and it, it was a great school. And my parents were also went to an Anglican church back in Ibadan. So I kind of presumed that, you know, that, well, I was doing everything right. And then when I got to secondary school, uh, a friend of mine said to me that I wasn't a Christian, which caused a big fight because I was like, what do you mean by that? I don't go to church every Sunday. Of course I'm a Christian. And he said no. Um, but eventually he spoke to me and, um, and I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, which was great. And then people started to say to me that, look, we could pray. Well, actually, this was part of the convincing thing. So if we pray to pray to God and you, you, you'd be able to see. Um, and as that didn't happen, um, I found that 
you know how the dissolution of teenage comes you go oh yeah so I found that I was less and less inclined to be a Christian but I had family and friends who were praying for me and and working with me and constantly talking to me about other aspects so when I was coming to the United Kingdom I had four or five volumes of Bible in Braille um, which I had used for exams in secondary school for um, um, Christian religious studies exams in secondary school and I had because we were only supposed to have 20 kilograms of luggage at that time I just decided I wasn't taking them so I had so they threw a send-off party for me almost like they knew I wasn't coming back home and one of my aunties gave me a present and she gave me a box of cassettes see that was such a long time ago cassettes Um, and it was the new testament bible but I'd also just won a prize um the year before and I had been given a recorder because they wouldn't give me a book um because obviously they realized that the book wouldn't be useful so the person who um, gave me the prize gave me a cassette recorder so I took this cassette recorder and I took the bible in new testament to Lancaster and when I got here because I didn't have any friends um <laughs> I sat down and I had well, well what else was I supposed to do so I listened to these tapes because wow. I wasn't doing anything else and so I gradually began to understand something completely different about Jesus and and I think it was it was the letters of Paul that started to tell me more about grace and about all that. And I started to really understand. But one of the things that I realized as well was my faith needed to come to terms with that business of um, will I be healed or will I not be healed? Mm. Um, so, um, you know, Joni Erickson Tada, mm. um, while I was in uni, people were going, oh, she's such a wonderful Christian. And I was going, well, she's not healed. Why are you going, she's such a wonderful Christian and telling me you want to pray for my healing? So all of those things were playing around in my head. And then I think one day I, I, I read um, the Gospel of John chapter 9. I, I've written this actually for the Overseas Fellowship of Nigerian Christians, the very first article I wrote for the magazine. And I read that and I realized because they, they said to Jesus, they said, um, there's this blind guy who came and they said, well, was it the sin of the father or the mother that made him blind? And Jesus said, no, no, is that the works of God would be made manifest in his life. And it was like a light bulb moment because suddenly I realized that the test of disability isn't actually whether you're blind. It's actually whether the works of God are manifesting your life. Wow. So that's it. And suddenly I began to think that, okay, when I looked, I started to read the Bible and interesting things started to come out. Jesus healed most people, but not all, actually. You know, there was this pool at Bethsaida and he, there was one person, only one person that was healed. And it was the one person who couldn't get to the pool on time. And then I read something else. I read about Samson and Samson actually killed more Philistines when he was blind than when he could see. I was like, wow, is that so? And then I read about oh, Jacob and Jacob was, fine until he wrestled with the lord and he had his hip bone broken like oh and suddenly i started to realize that things um you know the the kind of natural um um feeling that anybody who's disabled has to be healed may not actually be correct and again i always say it doesn't mean that i wake up tomorrow and tomorrow i might wake up and i might have got my full sight back and it would be glory to god if that happens but i'm going to live to glorify god but the last thing that hit me was once when I went with my pastor in Lancaster to 
do some evangelism in a school. So we went to a local school here in Lancaster. And we're talking about what it means to be a Christian. And this 12-year-old boy, bold as brass, comes up to me and goes, well, you know when they say ask questions? And he says, you are blind and you're a Christian. So why are you blind and why are you a Christian? And then my pastor gave the answer, the standard answer. I gave the standard answer. And then I went back home and I said, well, Lord, you know, <laughs> That's a question, actually, Lord. Let's let's talk about this, Lord. Um, you know, <laughs> I'd like to know, Lord. And <laughs> can you just explain this to me? You know, <laughs> a twelve-year-old is asking, and I just gave the standard answer. But you know, I, I need to know. And he, it was like he just sat down and he showed me all kinds of things that I wouldn't have understood if I hadn't been blind. Do you know, like, um even trusting people to do things that normally you just go and, mm. you know, like, oh, could you read this letter to me? You know, or even trusting God through some really difficult situations that I have been in or even understanding. And this is true because I, I noticed this with, even with my family, just understanding what it's like to be blind. I, a lot of my friends are so thrilled with my family because of how much they understand me and therefore understand blindness, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so when they come to my house, and, and it's the same when I go to their house, I see that a lot of people now understand a little bit more about what it's like to grow up with a, a blind person and how to show them things and how to take them around. I don't think we'd ever have understood that if we hadn't been blind. you see what I mean? Especially in the culture I grew up in where... Um, most people would just look at blind people as being less than perfect. Yeah. If that is so inspiring, thank you. Um, have you got a sort of top tip for me as a sighted person, as I, as I work with and deal with and, and live with um, folks who are blind or partially sighted, what's your top tip for me? Um, <laughs> um, the, the top tip, I think I'd say the, the most important thing is, Okay, I think, no, I'll tell you a story. Maybe that will help you. Uh, when I got to Lancaster, this is, so a friend of mine, well, he hadn't become a friend at that point. And he, he took me to a bank to, so they said, okay, um, put, do your signature. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. They said, oh, do you have a signature guide? And I said, no, I don't. And my friend said, and the bank said they didn't have any. So my friend said, well, cut a piece of cardboard, cut a, a rectangular hole in the piece of cardboard and use it as a signature guide. And it was just the inventiveness of the idea and the whole idea of the problem here is we can't sign. Um, we need a signature guide. Um, let's find a way around it. it you know, it, it, it didn't go, oh, there's nothing we can do. Let's go away and come back tomorrow. So I, I, what I say to people generally is that, um, there is always a solution to everything, but the one solution that's not possible is to just say nothing's nothing can be done about it. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So try be inventive. Be one of Torch's um, four values is creativity. Is being creative. Yes. Yes. Exactly like what you're picking up on that. So yeah, beautiful example of it. Um and. Ify, I understand that you have been involved with um, Torch's Sight Loss Friendly Church Initiative. Um, out of all the things that you could have picked to be involved with, wh why that? What is it about that that you, uh, you've, you've got involved with? Oh, 
site loss friendly church is great because um obviously from the time from as far back as i've known i've always noticed that there has been that kind of difficulty between um disabled people and non-disabled people or specifically between blind people and sighted people the question has always been how can we deal with the fact that you're a blind person what can we do about it so um sometimes and i i must say i've been lucky i'm i'm in my church i i'm, I'm part of the worship team and just because i'm part of the worship team they were confronted with the question what can we do and suddenly you know they started to find solutions but i found that a lot of other blind people i know have struggled to go to church or to attend events just because it's been kind of difficult for them to settle into places like churches even for me i have to say and you don't believe this i i actually came to church very shy cuz i i didn't know whether people would cope so um what happened was one day i was in in house group and i just played the piano and i just sang and we like you should be in the worship team and i'm going no i, I can't be in the worship team and eventually i went to the worship leader and i said oh I, i'd like to join the worship team after like 3 years of hesitation and he will, he goes i've been waiting for you to ask it's like what do you mean you've been waiting for me to ask it says from the back of the hall i could hear you sing like you can't still i'm like what <laughs> I just thought I was the so what I'd noticed was that the what people are is coming out but they, it needs expression and it needs people to to hear and to understand and to encourage and to bring those things out mm-hmm. and I think that's why I got involved in sight loss friendly church because I I just want a situation where there is a lot more of that kind of understanding between um persons with disability and non-disabled persons because actually this is the truth blind people also have their antipathies about living in the world of sighted people they have their they have their worries about that as well but it's about kind of saying it's cool you know we can work these things out um if you thank you so much this has been absolutely brilliant it's such a joy to meet you um so dr love thank you for your for being willing to be to be able to do this bless you bless you may the lord bless you and and the lord bless you too and thanks for the excellent work torch is doing thank you so much bless you ify thank you for joining us in sight loss 101 For more information on Torch, call 01858 438 260.